Welcome to the Brainwave Podcast, presented by Windward Group Publishing and Media. I'm Gail Holnick, former radio show host turned novelist and travel book writer, and this is a show about creativity. Each week you'll hear interviews with people from many different creative fields, artists, designers, writers, filmmakers, chefs, architects, choreographers, composers. I'm interested in that charmed moment that leads to a work of art. Where did the idea come from? What did you do next? And what advice would you give others trying to unlock their own creative potential? Thanks for spending some time with me today. Please take a second to tap on the subscribe button on the app. And if you want the episode show notes, please go to windwardgroup.com. That's word with an O. Let's get started. On this episode of The Brainwave, I'm sharing the microphone with Alison Nissen, the host of the Florida Writer Podcast. I was invited some time ago to talk about my books and experience with writing, and I thought it would be fun to publish the conversation here. The Florida Writer Podcast, a discussion about writing and other things. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Florida Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Nissen, and today I'm lucky enough to have with me Gail Holnick. Gail. Why don't you give us a 60-second elevator pitch about who you are and what you write? All right, Allison. Thank you very much for having me on. I am a relatively new member of the Florida Writers Association. I just joined last January. I've been in Cape Coral, Florida for that long, for about almost a year. And prior to that, I lived in uh, Savannah, Georgia for five and a half years. And before that, I lived in Vancouver, Canada. So I basically moved on a diagonal across the continent uh, to come down to the south. I write novels. I've been writing ever since I was a little kid. And I was a broadcast journalist for about 20 years and wrote uh, factual stuff for a long time. And now I make stuff up. I'm having a wonderful time doing it. I've done five novels. Um, and the two that uh, I've done most recently, uh, Resorting to Fraud and A Bird in the Sand, were numbers four and five. Uh, and also, um, really exciting, but, uh, since joining the association, I entered them both in the awards, the RPLA awards, uh, and won with both of them. So I won in a bronze for the mystery uh, Bird in the Sand and the silver in the mainstream category for, um, gosh, I'm gapping out in the names of my own books, Resorting to Fraud. Uh, so that's me. And I don't know if that was 60 seconds or not. I hope so. Hope it was close. Oh, we could talk forever. You know, as long as I'm talking about writing, I don't really care how long it is, but the elevator pitch is something we practice with our books, but often we don't practice it about ourselves. So I like to have people practice their elevator pitch. I want to know about what it was like to win. Oh, it was really exciting and really fun um, and a different situation, of course, because this is the year that was all done virtually and handled really, really well. I mean, the learning curve must have been incredible for people. But to go from doing a big event in a ballroom in Orlando to doing it uh, from computer screens at home, it went really well. But so my husband and I were sitting watching uh, as, as the announcements were being made. And I was watching and they had the the um, log lines, the storylines of each of the, the winning in the published and unpublished categories coming up on the screen. And I was reading them out loud as we were going and oh, this, this and this happened. And then this one is, you know, there's three orphans in uh, three people who become orphans in Italy. And, and so I'm reading them out as I go. And I'm reading along as, oh, that's my story. 
So yeah, that one sounds vaguely familiar. That's my story. So yeah, so it was very exciting and and uh, com- and, and quite unexpected actually. I really hadn't I haven't had that much um, response to them and haven't really put them out there all that much. Um, up on Amazon is kind of it. So it was really exciting. Yeah. And for those who may not know, the log line is that one sentence that describes what the book is about. Now, was it difficult to create a log line? Oh, yes, it was. It really was. And and in a lot of places, you have someone else do it. I mean, to have a, and actually my husband helped me a lot with it, but to have someone who doesn't know the 340 pages of the story come along and sort of say, oh, this is about a rock and roll singer who hates his life. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay. So yes, it, it is very hard to do to kind of encapsulate it in, in just a sentence or two what the whole thing is about. What about writing the blurb on the back of the book? <laughs> also difficult. Maybe a little bit easier because you have a few more sentences, but it's it's also one of those things like writing your own resume, isn't it? I mean, when you sit down to do it, it's how do I, you know, write in the third person? Well, Gail likes... Uh, you know, dogs and movies. You, to write about yourself in the third person is very difficult. And to write about your own book and just stand back and, and make it sound, uh, you know, exciting enough and interesting enough that someone who knows absolutely nothing about it, knows nothing about you, will want to pick it up and take a look at it. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I happen to know that your first novel is about a journalist. It sounds very parallel to maybe information you might have had as a journalist, to be able to transition to a fictional character as such. Tell me about that book and how it parallels what you know as a journalist. I'm repeating myself many times here, but I'm curious as that, you know, they always say, write what you know. So I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of journalists have a novel in them. And all of my old friends from those days, I'm constantly sort of encouraging and saying, look, if you if you think you have a story to tell, we all know far more than than we can uh, ethically or legally probably uh, put out there when you cover a, certain kinds of stories and a lot of stories. So you just have a lot of stories in your back pocket. And uh, the, the novel is called The Lion's Share of the Airtime. And it's part of a series I got started on, actually, I wanted to, I started out, you know, way back when 10 years or so when I sat down and got serious about it, I wanted to write about three women in three different stages of life. So Shalan is the young reporter, she's in her mid 20s, she's brand new to a newsroom, she's very, very green. Then there's uh, Nevada, who is the news director and is in her 40s and is much more is much older and wiser. And then the one uh, Lillian is in her mid 60s. And the three of their lives intersect within this one story which takes place in Vancouver and is about the death of an investigative journalist uh, who is a friend of Shalans. And so that's where the mystery starts is how did he die and why? And and uh, it apparently it appears to be a suicide. It's a very common plot, actually. One of the things I'm finding as I study writing over the years is how frequently these plots come. It appears to be a suicide, but isn't really uh, and then all the clues come out. And actually, I was reading um, uh, just a few months ago, one of J.K. Rowling's books that she's done as a writing adult material as as Robert Galbraith. And there's the plot. Oh, you know, famous person falls off a ledge. Was it suicide or was it murder? So anyway, but that was the story. And that was my first one. And uh, I was able to, I really enjoyed the whole process. I rewrote it about 14 or 15 times, but was able to bring out a lot of the the things that I'd seen over the years in newsrooms. Um, and they're just little things that kind of people 
people get a kick out of hearing if, you, if you've never worked in a newsroom to just know how they operate and what the people are like. And it's sort of like what you see on TV, uh, but not really. So everybody gets to bring their own, um, their own experience to it. So there's a lot of, there's much, probably much more of my own personal experience in that one than in any of the other ones. Was it fun to be able to tap into some of those stories that you've been having to hide because you couldn't really talk about them? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was almost a feeling of, of, um, I had so much to say and so much to tell and, and that, um, just about how things operate in the newsroom. Um, there were no, there was none of it that was, um, an actual story or something that I had, uh, that was factual and that I was just kind of, you know, well, it's, 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 it's this exact same story, except instead of being Linda, she's Brenda, you know, <laughs> change the name slightly, but this is, you know, you, you'd recognize the person in a minute. If I told you, it wasn't really like that. It was more about what the life was like of, of being a reporter or being a news director. I've not been a journalist and, and I've never had any training in journalism. I'm curious what the main difference is. Descriptive writing, characterizations, you have more play with words. Hmm. It's it's changed a lot is one thing I would really say. I mean, I got started in the uh, late 70s, early 80s when I was in journalism. Um, I'd probably walk into a news, newsroom nowadays and, and, and be absolutely lost. It would be amazed to me uh, and amazing. Um, the, the ways of doing things are very, very different now, but back in those days, the lines between fact and opinion were very strict and you definitely had to label, um, what you were doing and so on. If you, if it, if you, and, and you were hired and basically you were, you were in the fact world or you were an editorialist and you were, you, you didn't cross over within your reporting. And I know, I, I mean, I'm generalizing a great deal now. There are lots of, of places that are still like that and they have varying degrees of strictness on, in their policies and all of that kind of thing. But the way that the place where I would places where I was working and the way I worked was you had to be, um, it was just had to be, everything had to be verified for one thing. You had to be uh, very careful about how you handle sources, all of that sort of thing. Um, the writing and, and there wasn't, there was scope for creativity in, in the general sense of creativity and that, that you could be very creative in terms of how you um, would try to find things out. The, the real creativity is in the, is in the uh, investigating, but uh, the writing had to be, very straightforward. And uh, by contrast, working in in the creative writing field, again, I, I stumbled over that word creative, because it's all creative. But journalists are just as creative as anybody else. But in the writing fiction, maybe that's a way to a better way to put it. Um, you have more scope for showing yourself, uh, revealing yourself and so on. I also, I should mention, I actually left this out at the beginning, but after I had been in journalism for a long time and I did some coaching for quite a while and, and various other things, um, I decided that I wanted to get serious about writing. So I went back and uh, to school and I did an MFA. So in creative writing and that was a real uh, eye opener, just in terms because I had been taught writing and had and been writing all my life. But um, the the scope, the just a whole different way of going at things that um, there was a lot to learn. And um, so I think although they are both writing journalism and, and fiction writing, just huge differences. Where do your ideas come from? Um. 
everywhere and constantly. So I am like one of those people who has notebooks and sometimes wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and, and I have to go and either find my notebook or find my phone because I do forget. That's the other thing. They come really quickly and whether, um, you know, listening to the news or meeting somebody new or walking down the street and, you know, you sort of across the park, I see two people having an argument in the park and I think, Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. And unlike, again, this harking back, harking back to the journalism days, where it would be if you saw something happening, you were and you were going to do anything about it, you were going there to cover something or to find out what's happening. As a writer now and a, a fiction writer, I can think, oh, I wonder what's going on there. Oh, I know. He's from England and he just got here and he's all mixed up with the slang and the vocabulary. And she said something to him and he's really offended. You know, you can just make stuff up as you go. So the stories just just come based on what you see around you, I think. Absolutely. I love doing that. It's it's fun. And as a writer and we get to do that, I think I annoy my husband a little bit too much because I'll be like, oh, look at them. I think this is what's going on. And I'll verbalize it and he'll look at me kind of funny, like, what are you talking about? But anyway, I think uh, most writers fall victim to that. <laughs> yes, it is fun. Do you do you have scenes go in your head? Like I sometimes find like I'm I'm hearing them, what they're saying to each other, like the scene is all playing out. And and I, I thought everybody did that. And then I've, I've had various people tell me, no, <laughs> no, I don't do that. Okay. Yes, yes, I do. I do do that a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I can I can create the whole thing. I, I, I the guy in the car next to me, he'll have an entire life mapped out by the time I pass him. You can live in a traffic jam, you know, then it's like, wow, he's that poor guy. What a sad story. And, you know, really, he's just, you know, on the way to the dry cleaners. <laughs> Not nearly as interesting as in your head. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's not running from the law or anything like that. But nonetheless, those poor guys, you know, and the, the worst is, is I will create something and then maybe I'll meet them in real life. The pang of guilt in my head, like, oh, I made up a story about you. I can't uh-huh. hear it here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So tell me uh, about... Um, the, the two books that won your awards, you have A Bird in the Sand, and that's set in Savannah, Georgia, and in Key West. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Yes. And those were my, uh, that book was really my project when I was new to the South. So I was living in Savannah. And I think on the one hand, when you're new to a place, you're, you're, uh, you have to be careful what you say a lot of the time, because you can, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you have sandwiches, you know, you sound like a real idiot. But on the other hand, you bring fresh eyes. And so I, I'm hoping that it, that comes across. And Nevada is the newcomer. She's in her mid 40s. She's she's living in Savannah because her husband has a um, temporary assignment there. She's taking a leave of absence from her news director job. And while she's there, um, her father, who is a fa- famous movie star, has come to Savannah to be part of a film production uh, there. And some valuable things go missing, and he's suspected of the theft. And so she steps in to try to help her father out. And there's all kinds of, I mean, isn't every, I think every novel is essentially a family drama. So there's all kinds of complications about their relationship that, that come into it as well. But it was, it was my exploration of, of Savannah. And there's a lot of, I've had quite a few people say to me, it's lots of travelogue in your, in your story. Um, I would discover whatever park or whatever location and then work it into the book somehow 
Um, and then eventually, in, in investigating the theft, she uh, goes to Key West, a couple places in Florida, but down to Key West, where her friend Lillian from the Vancouver days, who is now, um, it happens eight years after. So Lion's share of the airtime was the first one in the series. And then A Bird in the Sand is the second one, and it takes place about eight years later. And I'm actually working on the third one right now, um, which is called Sleeping Dogs Lie. And it's uh, focuses mainly on the older woman, on Lillian. So, and it will be radio. So the first one was TV and the second one was movies. And this third one is set in radio world. So yes, yeah, so that's a bird in the sand. Wow. Wow. That sounds like it's really a fun way to explore mediums. What, what would it, media? Yeah. Media mediums, <laughs> I don't know how we'd call them. Media yeah. genres, I guess. <laughs> well, I wanted to have them be quite place specific, um, each one. So the first one is Vancouver. The second one is Savannah and Key West. And this third one is Toronto, Canada and New York, New York City. Uh, and I wanted them to be place specific. I always find I really enjoy novels when I feel like I've been to a place, you know, thanks to the novelist. But I really uh, have either have been to the place and want to see it for myself now that I've read this novel set there. So that was what I was trying to achieve, but also to um, have it touch on these three different uh, media worlds. That's awesome. Gail, how can people get in touch with you? Um, I do have a website. So it's gailholnick.com uh, and there's a newsletter if people want to sign up, just getting started with all of, I've been actually all kinds of wonderful things from the Florida Writer Association um, news, newsletter and marketing things and so on. So I'm trying to sort of pay attention and learn another new, new set of things. So I started a newsletter um, and uh, so the website is there. I am on uh, Twitter at writinggale. So it's W-R-I-T-I-N-G-G-A-I-L. And uh, I guess those are the two best ways. This is the website and the, the uh, uh, Twitter. Are you ready to switch to our rapid fire questions? <laughs> I'm so nervous. But yes, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, no need to be nervous. Do you have a favorite amusement park ride? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I guess that's the quick answer. Um, I can remember when I was when, uh, years ago, I used to really like the roller coaster. That was my favorite. I was not a big one for the Ferris wheel. Um, I liked the roller coaster, but my daughter got me onto a, there's a, a quite a popular famous wooden one in Vancouver and people say, well, go on the wooden roller coaster. So she, she took me, uh, had me come on that with her about, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And I still remember the screaming. I mean, there's all these little kids on there who were totally cool, but <laughs> I was just screaming. So that was, I I pretty much declared that my last roller, my last amusement park ride. But I do like the, I mean, I'm a a sucker for uh, Disney World and Disneyland and things like that. The Jurassic Park ride and so on. So any of the ones that seem to have a story to them, maybe that's the connector. I like that. That is a good connector. Mountains or beach? (sighs) Both. (laughs) (laughs) no I probably beach I'd say beach first yeah all right and what is your go-to lunch item anything with melted cheese on it oh a rice cake nice crispy grilled cheese cheese. yes yeah exactly anything with melted cheese 
Perfect, perfect. Gail, thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, you're welcome, Allison. It's been a lot of fun. You all have been listening to another edition of the Florida Writer Podcast. Allison out. Award-winning novelist Gail Holnick's first book, The Lion's Share of the Airtime, was long listed for the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. It's the story of an investigative TV journalist who falls from an apartment high-rise balcony in Vancouver, Canada. The story is the first of a series of media mysteries, with the second, A Bird in the Sand, telling a story from movie-making world where priceless historic artifacts have gone missing in Savannah, Georgia. When Gail's not writing, she runs a publishing company called Windward Group Publishing and Media. The company has recently started creating online video courses and is getting ready to do podcasts. For more information on Gail, visit her website at gailholnick.com. For more information about the Florida Writers Association, visit us at floridawriters.net. That was an episode of the Florida Writer Podcast with host Allison Nissen. And next time on the Brainwave Podcast, I'll be talking with radio host David Page, who has a syndicated show called Martini Music. This time I leave you with a quote from English actress Dame Julia Walters. In order to be creative, you have to be allowed to fail. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful. If you did, please mention it to a few friends or pass it along on social media and tag us if you do. And please tap the subscribe button on your podcast app and take a minute to leave a ranking or review. You might also like the backlist available at Windward Group Publishing and Media, and that's www.windwardgroup.com slash brainwavepodcast. And Windward is spelled W-I-N-D-W-O-R-D. You'll also find the show notes for today's episode there too. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on Facebook at Windward Group Publishing and Media, on Twitter at Windward Publish, and on Instagram at Windward PNM. I'm Gail Hulnick. Please join us next time.